Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow. For SB Live Sports and the Believe Podcast Network, conversations with experts throughout the field of sports. Today's, I'm excited and interesting to hear about more of his path, his experiences, as well as some of the ways that he can guide and direct and, and help people, both student athletes and coaches in the world of basketball these days. Tyler Costin from PGC Basketball. Uh, where he's been the director for the last 13 years. He's also started a consulting firm for helping young up-and-coming coaches. So I love looking forward to hearing a little bit about both of those ways he's impacting the game of basketball in a great way. So Tyler, apologize for the long intro, but there's lots of good things to discuss and, and, and share about there. How, how are you doing? I'm doing, I appreciate it, man. I, didn't, I stopped listening after you called me an expert. Once you called me an expert, I was just being me. I couldn't even hear anything else you said. So I appreciate that compliment. Well, you, you know, I will say that you're an expert because I've followed you on social media uh, for, for quite some time. And I know in the world of social media, there's lots of information. There's lots of misinformation out there. And, and you kind of have to sift through it to see which uh, directions that you want to take when you kind of click through different threads and, and see what people are talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. I've gone through quite a few of your different coaching philosophy threads, as well as your basketball teaching threads. Uh, and I think there's some great insight, some great information there. One of the ones that caught my eye recently was when you were having a thread talking to coaches about post-game messages. Do you remember that message by chance? And can you break it down for us a little bit? Because I thought it was powerful when I was reading through yeah. it. Absolutely. And even before I dive into that, I think Twitter is one of the most amazing platforms for professional development because you can curate your feed so beautifully and really follow the people that are going to provide value. Um, you know, it's very different. A lot of other, you know, quote unquote, social media threads. So any coaches listening that are not on Twitter, I would really encourage you to get on, find the right people to follow. Dan's a great guy to follow. You can follow me at Tyler Costin on Twitter. I do a thread every Friday um, on some aspect of coaching. And so uh, I've got one actually coming out today, um, which talks about how to build a strong culture. And so I'm excited to share that one with you um, as well. But going back to the post-game talks, um, thread. This one actually came out. I was uh, I was going and watching a player, a player that I've trained since uh, he was in fourth grade, and uh, he's now a senior in high school. He's playing for a top AAU team. They were playing a tournament near me here in Phoenix. I went to go watch him play. I waited for 45 minutes after the game to talk to him. And you know, AAU uh, tournaments, those post game talks happen in the gym. There's not a space for it. And so I was very close, and I could hear. And this this coach was going in on these players for 45 minutes. Um, they had won the game by two points, 
and was just going in on them and berating players and embarrassing players and yelling at players and swearing at players. And I'm looking at the players, they're disengaged, they're hungry, they're emotional after the win. They're not learning a single thing. They want to go talk to their girlfriends. They, their parents came in and they want to go eat some food. The parents are ready to go. They've already been sitting in these terrible gym seats for two hours. And so this is the worst time to coach. And the coach, you know, afterwards takes a deep breath and the coach felt better. The players felt worse. The parents felt worse, but the coach felt better because he just leaked his emotions all over them and did a verbal diary for 45 minutes so he can go to sleep at night. And so I think I just wanted to share that perspective with coaches. And, and that's really what I'm trying to do with savvy consultants. I'm trying to bring simple questions to question traditional wisdom. Um, we've all, you and I, have been through thousands of post-game talks. It's a staple. It's tradition. Um, but I can't remember a single thing that I actually learned and applied in a post-game talk. And so I want coaches to, to consider is, is this the best use of my time? You know, a, a, throughout an entire season, you've got a limited amount of focus, attention. You've got a limited bank account of trust with your players. Do you want to spend, do you want to spend it there? Because I think you want to get the best return on investment of your teaching and your time. And so in this thread, and I'd encourage anybody that's listening to go check it out at Tyler Crossan on Twitter, my post game thread, I just shared five specific reasons why it's not the greatest return on investment. And reason number one is they're just not listening. Uh, this is this is one of the least engaged times that you're going to ever have your players. Um, and we could go a little bit deeper in there, but I'm sure you've had some experiences with these post game talks. I'd be curious um, what your experience has been with these post game talks. Yeah, you know that's again that that to me is so fascinating because you know yeah, I, I quickly look back at my playing career at high school, AAU, college pros. I'm right there with you. I can't remember a single thing that a coach came in and said we didn't do this. We didn't do this. We got to do this because knowing once you get to a certain level, the coach coaches all break down film and you go over it in detail, typically the next day. Right. And there were many times looking back what they said or what I remembered in the post game was wrong. And then you go back and it's completely different in, in, in watching it on film and hearing it the next day, because there is that emotional kind of like bang, 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 got to get your thoughts off your chest. And so when I initially read that thread, when that came out, you know, I was thinking about how I coach my son's AAU group who is starting to go off and, and play in some bigger events. And they're going to go to, um, you know, travel out of the area this, this summer. Um, and I'm going to challenge myself to post game, keeping it brief. And, mm -hmm. and yes, there are some things that you have to, I think, you have to clean up. You have to clarify. You have to dress. Maybe a kid takes a has a really selfish stretch, or maybe there was you know an important point in the game where it's close and it's coming out of a timeout. And a play is drawn up that's been drawn up many times, and one or two kids break out of the play or don't even attempt to run the play. Um, those are things that I would address. But I, the big picture stuff, man, I it, it spoke to me, and I'm going to do my best to keep them short this summer. Man, I celebrate you for that. I, I really appreciate that. And I think everybody else will as well. And I think you'll be a leader in that. Um, it's really cool how much of a response it has gotten um, and how many coaches have been impacted by it because they've just never questioned it. And I, I think that's what we need to do as coaches is not become so calcified in our traditions because most of us as coaches, we just coach the way that we were coached. 
Yeah. And we don't even we don't even question it. We just assume that's the right way to do it. But everything else in our world is changing at an incredibly rapid pace. And so why not this? Right? Why not this? You know, the players are changing. The game is changing. We have to change. You know, one of my favorite statements that uh, has been very challenging to me is to improve is to change and to perfect is to change constantly. And, you know, I think that we've seen some of the most successful teams, programs, coaches are the ones that are at the cutting edge of doing things different. And then everything just trickles down from there. And so I, I think that instead of waiting on observing some other change, I think we should just be open to changing ourselves. Um, you know, I, I love what you said about coaches being wrong. Players are way more educated now than it, they've ever been. They've got access to so much more content. The whole world's at their fingertips. And so they can go on YouTube and if a coach says something like X, right? Like, hey, only shoot 10 toes to the rim. They can go online and they can watch video and they can listen to experts. All the way. But coach this and this and this and this. Whereas 20 years ago, you and I never had that. Coach said, run through a wall, we're running through a wall because the coach was the expert. Um, and so now I think coaches just have to be a little bit careful because you can lose credibility really fast. Like this would be a warning to coaches. Like don't go off and say stuff without watching the film um, because if you're wrong, you lose credibility. Um, you lose their ear and attention. I think that's another reason to kind of hold it back a little bit and really do a, a post-mortem. Um, so often coaches are just resulting. A great book I'd recommend to every coach to read is Annie Duke's Thinking in Bets. Um, Annie Duke is a social psychologist that went on to become a, a World Series poker champion um, and wrote this beautiful book, Thinking in Bets, that can be applied, I think, specifically to coaching, but really any walk of life. And the, one of the main points of the book is we as humans and specifically as coaches, we result. We, very specifically, a player comes down the court, takes a terrible shot. And we're like, come on. And then it goes in and we start clapping. Yeah, yeah, that's resulting, okay? That's resulting or, or vice versa. As opposed to, I think Brad Stevens has been a wonderful example of this over the past, his coaching career. Now he's moving into a front office role. But you'll watch Brad Stevens when they take their shot with the Celtics or even back in Butler. He's on the sideline quietly clapping when the ball leaves the hand, whether it goes in or not. And if it's not what they're looking for, he's coaching it when the ball leaves the hand and does and disregards the result. So often in post-game talks, we're just resulting. We're not actually addressing the underlying issues, which is what you spoke to, right? How we play selfishness, execution. And so often we're resulting by the win or the loss and we, we miss out on the process of moving us forward. Um, and so I think, I think that's what post-game talks should not be. They should not be resulting. Um, what they should be is directing focus to our path and our growth and where we're trying to go as a team. Uh, that's some, some great insight, and I love that. Um, okay, so before I get into something else, yeah. you mentioned Annie Duke and, and thinking in bets. What's your favorite poker game? To play myself? Yes. I'm playing No Limit. I'm playing Absolutely. No Limit. Texas Hold'em No Limit is the absolute way to go. It's the absolute way to go. <laughs> if I'm playing with players that don't know how to play and I just want to win money, I'll play Omaha High Low because the best way to beat someone is play a game they don't understand. And <laughs> most people don't understand Omaha High Low. But, uh, yeah, for just the true form of poker, I, with every, I want to play some No Limit Hold'em. That's awesome. Well, mm -hmm. you, you said two things that, that kind of really spoke to me there. To improve is to change. I look at Gonzaga's program and, and Coach Few – and his staff are a great example of that. Uh, you know, they have gone from 
flex offense to a little bit more ball screen um, to now continuity ball screen to spacing it out, dribble drive, attacking when the time is right. But they've never veered too far away from from something that's been successful from day one for Coach Few, even when he was an assistant. That's high-low basketball. He's mm-hmm. always improved and changed in just enough ways to make things uh, peak as well as keep things difficult for the opponents. Um, so that's something that, that caught my eye on that. And the other was you talked about Brad Stevens mm-hmm. and his positive outlook and clapping. That's something that uh, I have noticed in, in Coach Few as well, even going back to my time as a player, is he is always extremely positive in the moment. He's coaching in practice, but positive in the moment because you're right. Once the ball leaves your hand, no player or coach can dictate whether it goes in or not. You just have to, to cheer for the the possibility of pro- great results. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people listening to this might think, oh, he's hyping Gonzaga again. Well, that's what I know best because that's what I've been around. And those are two examples that fit very well with what you were just talking about. Gonzaga deserves to be hyped. It's unbelievable what they've, what they've done. Um, you know, on your second example, I just want to stamp it and, and challenge some coaches. Uh, that's what I do through Savvy Consulting. I'll go in and watch their practice. I will get film of their team. We'll talk about their system and I'll just provide feedback because coaches know that coaching matters. Like that's why they do it. Like players need to be coached. That's how they get better. But so often I find that coaches are some of the most hypocritical professionals in the world because the things that we, we expect of our players, we shy away from ourselves. We know that coaching matters and yet very few coaches go out and ask to be coached. They're unwilling to open themselves up for feedback um, themselves. And yet we provide feedback all the time. And so, or, or the same thing that you just said, you know, coaches know that players have to get better in the off season. You got to come back better. You got to add something to your game. And yet so rarely do coaches come back different the next season. They just keep running it back for 20 years. And so, so coaches need sometimes to take a hard look in the mirror and say, am I modeling exactly what I want my players to do themselves? You know, you know don't talk about it, be about it. Sometimes your players can't hear your words or the sounds of your actions. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go in on this one too and I might make some enemies here and I apologize, but coaches want their players to eat well, sleep well, and be in great physical shape. And so many coaches don't model that themselves. They like, they abuse their own bodies working so hard and staying up late and eating crappy food on the road and not making time for their own workouts. And they think they're sacrificing for their team but you can't pour from an empty cup. So many coaches are just burnt out, lack energy or unhealthy. Um, and that's not modeling what you want for a lifestyle for your players either. So, I mean, there's just so many things that I think coaches need to model better for their players. Um, and it goes back to, yeah, I think what you said about Gonzaga. I mean, few gets better every year. He adds something. He doesn't change the core of what, what Gonzaga does, but he does get better every year. He adds yeah. something, which I think coaches need to consider. I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, 
game coverage, and much more. The app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Millis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert, this SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. So you grew up in the northwest uh, corner of the state of Washington, played at Linden Christian. Um, and for anybody who's not from the state of Washington listening to this, Linden Washington is a small community that is in love with the game of basketball. There's two high schools, Linden, Linden Christian, uh, that are small schools, but both have great basketball traditions. You played there before you went off to play college basketball in Canada, um, before you kind of forged a, a coaching career and now doing what you're doing with Savvy Consulting and PGC Basketball. When you were growing up, did you always sense and feel that you wanted to get into coaching or, or how was that path led for you? I never wanted to get into coaching. I was going to, of course, play in the NBA, uh, <laughs> like every young player. I actually want to go back and, and share something even before I played for Linden Christian. So I actually um, played my freshman and sophomore year for Blaine High School. And, I'm a Luke uh, Ridenour. Yeah, so so Luke and I played together for, well, really for four years is like every Wednesday and Sunday, Blaine Open Gym, Luke and I went at it. Um, and his dad, Rob Ridenour, was the head coach of Blaine High School. And it's interesting as I played for Rob on my sophomore year, and I still remember to this day one thing that Rob Ridenauer told me. And it doesn't matter what he told me, but it matters that of the two years he coached me, freshman and sophomore, I only remember one thing he ever taught me. And the one thing he ever taught me was actually a compliment he gave me. And that was just the, the, the other thing that I wanted to share about post game. The majority of post games are identifying mistakes. That, that tends to be the majority of post games. But what I remember from Rob Ridnar was one time after a game in, in a post game, he's like, Tyler, you guarded two people so well. Whenever someone else got beat, you played the cat and mouse game. It's what I call skirmishing now. He's like, Tyler, you're the best I've ever seen at that. I remember that to this day, 25 years later, what Rob Ridnar told me. I don't remember any other negative screaming he did. And so I just want to like, that's a message I'm preaching to coaches is it's not about being positive. It's not about being nice. It's about impact, like positive reinforcement. When a player finally does something right, is 10 times more effective than, than your correction. Now, of course, the correction gets them to do it right. But when they do it right, that's where you make an impact. And like, I remember Rob Ridenauer saying that, that that's one thing that Rob did so well. I think he had a great impact on Luke and allowed Luke to go on and have his unbelievable career. But, but that's where I started. Um, then, then, then Rob was also really honest with me. Um, so I'd love to share this with coaches. My sophomore year, um, had my meeting, you know, me and Luke were both point guards. He's like, Tyler, this is going to be Luke's team for the next two years. This is going to be your role on the team. It's Luke's team, not your team. And he told me, honestly, and so I transferred to Linden Christian, you know, and I appreciate Rob for that honesty, too, because I don't think I would have ever had a career in basketball if I'd been sitting on the bench, you know, all through high school. I would have gotten to play in college or whatever, you know, play it off the ball. So transferred to Linden Christian, went on one of the state championship there. 
Um, and it was very important to me to go play for a Christian college. And so Linden Christian meet up in the north, northwest quarter of Washington State, right on the Canadian border. There's a small school, Trinity Western University um, in Vancouver, British Columbia, that uh, their coach recruited me hard. I had some opportunities to play Division II basketball you know, all across um, the U.S., but I chose to go play in Canada. Um, and what I loved about that experience is it opened up my eyes to FIBA basketball. Uh, we played with a 24 second shot clock, FIBA rules, quarters. Um, it was much more of a, of a no live ball timeouts by the coaches, much more of a player dictated game. Um, what we had was a lot of skill and a lot of shooting at all positions um, across the, the whole, what was called the CIS. What we didn't have was the height and athleticism that you saw at the division one level. Everyone was about you know two to four inches shorter, not quite as freakishly athletic, which was great for me. And um, it, it really opened up my eyes to um, a multi-positional game where everyone can pass dribble and shoot, which at that time, you know, especially, you know, at the division one level, you had two bigs, you had two screen, screening bigs. It was a very different game. And then I got to go overseas um, for a brief moment as well. And so that really changed my whole perspective on the game. And I think um, got me thinking probably where the game was going and not where the game was. Um, so I got into coaching when I, uh, when I realized I'd never make money like you playing basketball. Um, I got into coaching and, um, and then that, now we have what we have. But I think all of those things kind of formed a, a kind of countercultural approach or a non-traditional approach to coaching is because my path was very non-traditional. Um, and so I think I'll, uh, yeah, it looks like you have something to dive into there. No, that's, that, that's a really uh, great breakdown of it because I'm always curious about um, how guys or, or girls at the high school level uh, don't it, but understand and believe that there's a whole extra world just north of the border, especially for, for kids in the Northwest where we're so close to the Canadian border. Yep. There's so many more opportunities. Um, I love the breakdown of the FIBA rules. I personally wish that basketball across the board would go 24 second shot clock. Yes. yes, it would, it would, it would allow, or it would put the onus on coaches more to teach skills and decision-making in practice as opposed to set plays and patterns that there's, there's, there's a time and place for that. But if you have a quicker shot clock, players have to be more reactionary. Do you agree with that? Oh, hundred percent. And here, I'm going to go all in, no limit, hold it style on this. You may not agree with this and your listeners may not, but here it is. I believe that basketball should be played fourth through seventh grade FIBA three on three style only. So FIBA three-on-three, three, if, if you're not watching the Olympic qualifiers, you need to. FIBA three-on-three three is played with a 12-second shot clock and with only three players on the floor. And then players really have to learn how to play. Um, and then seventh grade, you start playing five-on-five five with a 24-second with shot clock because it just it accelerates even more of what you're talking about. Players have the ball in their hands more. They have more space. Only the strongest and most skilled players can score in limited time and space. The weaker players need less, need more space. So give them more space when they're kids, right? So yeah. anyway, I think that would be so good for youth basketball. Yeah, I, I think we've got a lot of similar concepts and thoughts. I, I don't tend to go as far as the, those grades should be three on three. Yeah. But I think that zone defense should be outlawed until players get to high school. I remember coaching uh, my son's group, you know, at the age of third grade, a team throws a zone against us and it's just unfair. You look at what third grade kid at that age, what, seven, eight, nine years old, give or take, uh, can skip a pass from one wing to the other or to the corner on time and on target 
where a kid can get it and shoot it. Oh, but probably at the three point line, that kid can't shoot it from there either okay. with proper form. I, I feel that boys get moved into bigger size basketballs at two, eight, too, too okay. young of an age. Uh, I feel that the hoop should be at eight foot until fifth grade. Yep. Um, but a lot of this is due to facilities and, you know, league and or organizational directors not understanding what is maybe best for the skill development and the longevity of a possible playing career, as opposed to just throwing as many kids as possible in a league to play. You're, you're bang on. And it, it just comes back to core values. So, so one, of, one of my core values is development over everything. And so if there's ever a decision to be made, what is going to serve the long-term development of the player, the game, the program, as opposed to a short-term victory. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I explore with coaches is what you got to define your victories. Otherwise your culture, or your community is going to define it for you. I was just in Louisiana working with the program. I just, I just flew back home last night and my whole first day was meeting with the mayor of the town, the superintendent of the schools and the community to completely revamp their youth programs. So I was preaching to them all these things, but you have all these, um, these parents that are like, oh no, they're gonna be shooting at 10 feet in high school. They're gonna be playing five on five in high school. Um, and, but whenever I speak to an expert like yourself, we're aligned, this is the way. But it's the it's the 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 non-expert parent that is actually holding it back, and so I think that there's a movement building. Um, and I've actually I put out a tweet recently about a three-on-three -three, uh, league program that I'm putting together. It's unbelievable. I've, I've had a thousand coaches say, "Can you send me that program? We want to do that for our youth." And so if you want to access on that, just DM me on Twitter. My my DMs are open at Tyler Costin, and I would love to share it with you as well because I truly believe that change of the game starts with change with the youth and the feeder programs. And so that's really where my heart and passion are. Yeah, I definitely want to learn more and, and hear more because I, I think, yeah. you know, as those young development ages are, are there for kids in, in all sports, but in particular basketball, because that's both of our passions, right. it's the bigger, stronger, more aggressive kid that gets the most shots at an yep. early age and it doesn't mean that's going to translate and they're going to be the best player down the road but a lot of the mentality forms at that age from the parents and the coaches uh to kind of influence and help that kid where you're not understanding where maybe the smallest kid has the best hand-eye coordination right. and the best dexterity and the best understanding of the game or the best work ethic <laughs> over 100%. the next 10 years right yeah and so if if, if you're putting all of the opportunities for the most athletic, the biggest kid, as I mentioned, to have the most success and kind of grow quickest, you're shortchanging what the whole game of basketball could be for your entire team or your whole entire youth organization. It's a, it's a really frustrating thing for me when, when I don't hear, uh, when I have people, I don't, I don't want to say you don't have to agree with me, but when they're so adamant that it has to be 10 foot hoops, five on five, zone needs to be played all these different things right so if we zoom out macro and this is a message i think we're both preaching it comes down to is your basketball culture pursuing a competitive model or a developmental model so in the united states we've settled on a competitive model players elevate themselves to the highest level team that they can be competitive on and then they go out and they try to win and so if you play that back practices our folks on trying to win, player selection, 
resources, the best coaches go to the most competitive players at the youngest levels, the fourth and fifth grade level. But the European model is more developmental. So right before the pandemic, I actually got to go over to FC Barcelona, FC Barca, work with their basketball program at Juan Carlos Navarro and explore what they're doing with their programs. They start at U8 all the way through their pro teams. And what was unbelievable is working with their coaches and looking at their practices, they didn't do things to help them win their games. They saw every single team, but their professional team as a developmental team. And so all of their focus was on the long-term development of the players, where all five players are handling the basketball, they're going positionless, where the majority of their time in practice is spent on shooting and skill work. Then they go out and play and they might lose, even though they have the best players. And so it was a developmental model because they know that the that hardwood grows slowly. And I think we're seeing it now in the NBA and in the WNBA with a player like Luka Doncic with the influx of the European players is these players for Giannis were not the, the, the player that got the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, the soonest, but they have a higher top end. And so when you have a developmental model, you're going to have a better top end. We've got a competitive model. You're going to miss out on some top end talent. So much insight there over the last, however long we've talked so much more I want to get into. We're going to have to do this again at some point. I try to keep my podcast to a certain, uh, to, to a time frame to, to allow yourself and myself to, to, I don't want to say get bored with the conversation, but to keep it fresh. But I'm, I'm going to say this right now. We're, we're going to have to have you join again soon because I think we're just scratching the surface on, on talking about youth basketball, youth development, uh, how to continue to improve the game because just from listening to you for this short bit, I could tell you love the game, you're passionate about it, and you want to see the game played the right way at the highest level uh, for everybody. And I think you're you're on to a lot of positive things. So, Tyler, I, I, I know we got to get going. Um, let's do this again sometime. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.